You are listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church in Louise, Texas. Thank you for listening. I promise that we are saved by grace. By grace I am redeemed. By grace I am restored. And now I freely walk into the presence of my Lord. Father God, as we open your scriptures this morning, I pray that our eyes would be open, that our ears would hear what it is that you have to say to us. Illuminate your scriptures, Lord. We pray that we would be transformed by the truth of your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 8, where we're going to be this morning. John chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 12 through 30 this morning. Throughout the Gospel of John, we are presented with different themes that John wants us to see. Throughout the entire Gospel, there's different themes. One of those themes is light versus darkness. And we, as people, are familiar with the ideas and experiences of light and darkness. That creaky door in our house doesn't bother us during the day. But the moment those lights go off and it starts creaking, we start thinking that something nefarious or evil may be happening. Walking outside in the daylight, walking down the street during the day doesn't bother us. But when it's dark outside, we start being a little more aware of our surroundings. Children like to have nightlights in the room so that it isn't as dark as it could be, which also causes them to wake up in the middle of the night often, right? But it's time to sleep, and, and they don't want it to be dark, so they have the nightlight on. We feel safer. We feel more secure. We feel bolder in the light. But in the dark, we are more fearful, we are more aware, we are more prone to being spooked. Why is that? Because even from a young age, we know that the darkness is dangerous. And we believe, and I believe, that one of the reasons it's so ingrained in us is because we know the reality of the spiritual darkness all around us. It preys on our hearts, it preys on our minds, it preys on our souls. And it's more dangerous because oftentimes... We don't even know that we're walking around it. That is until we see the light. Until the darkness is dispelled from all around us and we see that shining light, we're not aware of it. And that's the meaning that we're going to look at and the message that we're going to look at in this passage this morning. Jesus knows the true reality of darkness that we are all subject to. So what does he do? He provides us with a solution. John chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, Jesus spoke to them again, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. I am the light of the world. This is one of the seven I am statements found in the Gospel of John. And this is the second one that we've come to so far. The first one was, I am the bread of life. This one is, I am the light of the world. It's absolutely beautiful why Jesus uses it. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about uh, Jesus using the ceremony, the Feast of Tabernacles, of, and the, the specific ceremony of the pouring out of the water on the altar, right? And he was saying that that pouring out of the water on the altar was the, the life and the, the water, that he is the water come and drink from him. Well, he's doing something really similar here, right? Not only was there a water ceremony at the Feast of Tabernacles, but there was also a lighting ceremony, During the festival in the court of women, they would set up these four giant candelabras in the middle of the court. They were so tall that you had to use a ladder to climb up in the top of them. And these candelabras were filled with with oil, and the priest 
old robes. And they would go up there, and at night they would light these candelabras. And it was so bright that the entire city of Jerusalem would be bright, would be lit. The entire city. As this fire was burning, they would begin singing, and they would begin dancing, and they would begin celebrating God's goodness. Remember, the Feast of Tabernacles was a celebration of God's provision. And one of the ways that God provided for the people of Israel after their escape from Egypt was to follow them around as a cloud by day and as a pillar of light by night, a pillar of fire. So in Exodus 13, verses 21 and 22, we read, The Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so that they could travel day or night. The pillar cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. Thus, these candelabras represented the light of the Lord, the light the Lord provided them as they walked through the wilderness. One ancient historian said, he who has never seen the illumination ceremony, the lighting of these candelabras, has never seen true joy. True joy found in the light of the Lord. It was a joyous occasion to see and remember what God had done for his people. The light pointed to the goodness and the providence of God, his gift of light in the darkness, light in the wilderness. And as these lights were lit and the whole city of Jerusalem was bright with thankfulness, Jesus stands up and says, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These candelabras burning bright, shining up the sky, and Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Once again, Jesus is pointing to the truth that this ceremony reminded them of, that he is the supreme and pinnacle of the promise of God, that these ceremonies ultimately pointed to him, that he is the fulfillment of the feast, he is the fulfillment of the celebrations, and he is the fulfillment of the promises of God. Not only that, but in the Old Testament, God is identified with light quite often. Here are just a couple of examples. Uh, Psalm 56, 13, For you rescued me from death, even my feet from stumbling, to walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 27, 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, whom shall I dread? Jesus is showing them that he is the one who came to provide light, not just to the Israelites, not to just Jerusalem, but to the world. Right? And, and the world needs this light. This is another theme that we find in John's gospel. Right? In John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness has not overcome it. John 1.9, the true light that gives light to everyone is coming into the world. John 3, verses 19 and 21, through 21, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it, but anyone, so that, that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. And then further in John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. Why did the Israelites need the pillar of light to follow them around in the wilderness, to lead them in the wilderness? Because it was dark and dangerous. They needed protection. So God in his providence and in his mercy and in his grace provided them with this protection. 
But it wasn't just Israel that needs light. The whole world needs light. And not a physical light, not a pillar of fire by day, but a spiritual light that ignites our heart, that dispels the darkness, a light that overcomes the true and deadliest of darkness, a light that pierces through the mess of our life and provides hope and salvation. And Jesus is saying here that he is that light, and people can have that light. They can be brought out of the darkness. They can avoid the sting of death and have the gift of life. But here's the catch. They have to follow Jesus. You have to follow Jesus. Anyone who follows after him will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Just like the Israelites in the desert, if they wanted to be in God's protection, they had to follow the pillar of fire. They had to follow the light. If they strayed away from the light or they ignored the light or they walked away from the light, they would walk away from protection. So if you want to have the light, if you want to have the darkness dispelled, if you want to be saved from the darkness of this world, the darkness of sin, the darkness of death, the darkness of false religion, you need to follow Jesus. What's interesting is that Right here, the conversation about light stops for a whole nother part of the chapter. Jesus starts to talk about being the light of the world, and the religious leaders quickly shut him down. And it's not until we get to chapter 9 that we truly get to see what Jesus means when he says, I am the light of the world. So you need to come back in a couple weeks so that we can talk about Jesus healing the, the blind man. But know this, the world is full of darkness. There is wickedness and sin and destruction and peril everywhere. However, the greatest threat to you is not the things of this world. It's your own darkness. The darkness of sin, the darkness of rebellion within you. But Jesus is the light. And he is the light that pierces through the darkness. He is the light that can dispel the darkness of sin within you. He wants to bring you into the light. You can have the light if you follow Jesus. Notice he doesn't say you can have the light if you say a prayer or if you're baptized or if your parents are involved in church, if you give money, if you do anything, if you follow him. The requirement is following him. And following him, you'll walk in the light. That means that you have to be committed to Jesus. Not simply some belief that God exists, but actually committed to doing the things that Jesus would have you to do. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. If we have been illuminated by the word of Jesus, by the light of Christ, then we will want to walk in that light because the darkness holds nothing but despair for us. Here's the problem, though. There's some who don't want the light. There's some who, as Jesus says in John chapter 3, run away from the light because they don't want their evil deeds exposed. And that's exactly what Jesus runs up to here with the Pharisees. In verse 18, or for, <clears throat> forgive me, verse 13, it says this, So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I come from and where I am going but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, 
My judgment is true, because it is not I alone who judge, but the Father who has sent me. Even your law, it is written, that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. Then they asked him, who, where is your father? You know neither him nor my, or you know neither me or my father, Jesus said. If you knew me, you would also know my father. He spoke these words in the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus is uh, demonstrating his divine authority here. See, they, they quickly change the subject from the subject of light to the subject of his authority. They aren't actually listening to what Jesus is saying. They don't care what he has to say. Why? Because they care more about their religious practices. They care more about their rules. They care more about their own self-righteousness than they do the God of the universe. Unfortunately, there's a lot of darkness in religion. We talked about it a couple weeks ago, but religion and self-righteousness says, I'm good enough. I can earn it. And because I can say the right things and do the right things, that can make me right with God. And then if you don't mirror me, then you are less than me. That's what religion says, that I am better than you. Religion forgets or completely ignores grace. Now I want you to tell you that I struggle with this phrase, okay? It's not about religion, it's about a relationship. It sounds good. It makes us happy, right? But is it right? Well, Christianity is a religion, right? But it's a religion born out of grace, not self-righteousness. And that's where the Christian religion can go wrong, when it's a focus on self-righteousness and not on grace, on self and not service, on arrogance and not love, on hate instead of grace. And that's what these Jewish leaders are doing. They, they're, they're letting their own self-righteousness get in the way. They are denying Jesus' authority because he doesn't follow their rules. He doesn't fit into their mold. He doesn't have, according to them, the right amount of witnesses to verify his claim of authority. And it's so funny because one thing I love about the Bible is it is true to humanity. It can show how dense people actually are. This is the same argument that these same men brought to Jesus in John chapter 5, that he is testifying about himself. So Jesus has already presented witnesses of his authority. He presented the Father as a witness. He presented John the Baptist as a witness. He presented his works as a witness, Moses as a witness, the scriptures as a witness, but it wasn't enough for them. It wasn't enough for them. They're questioning his authority. They're questioning his authenticity. They're questioning his testimony. He had met and exceeded all of their standards for testimony, but it still wasn't good enough. And that's what religious elitism holds on to. Nothing is ever good enough. That's why we need grace, is because nothing is ever good enough. Except for grace. But Jesus is going to lay down the gauntlet. Jesus tells them that they don't have the right perspective, right? That they judge by human standards. They judge according to their own darkness. And they can't judge Jesus properly because they have the wrong perspective. They have the wrong starting point. Let's not miss this. Jesus is telling these religious men who claim to love and serve God that they have no idea what they're doing, that they're blinded by the reality. They don't know where Jesus came from or where he is going because all of their religious activities have left them blinded to the truth. 
His divine authority, Jesus' divine authority comes from his unique relationship with the Father. He and the Father are on mission together. They have a unified will. And the Father testifies to the Son. The whole scripture talks about the day when the Messiah would come, that the Savior would come, and they are too blinded by their own hatred, by their own self-righteousness, by their arrogance to see him standing right before them. They don't have a godly perspective. They think they do. They think they judge righteously, but they don't because they judge based on human perspective. People can struggle with what Jesus says in John 8, 15, and 16, where he talk, talks about he doesn't judge, but then when he does judge, and people, you know, so does Jesus judge or does Jesus not judge? Right in John 5, 22, he says, the Father, in fact, judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So what exactly is happening here? Jesus seems to be talking out of both sides of his mouth. What we have to understand is that Jesus does judge, but he came to save. What I mean is that when Jesus entered into the world, his coming split people into two groups. Either you're going to obey or you're going to rebel. And when he does judge, ultimately, on the final day, he isn't going to judge from human standards, but from God's standards. His judgment is absolutely true. Why is that? Because his judgment comes from the Father, the true judge of the world. Here's one of the things that people don't like to talk about, especially younger people. So listen to me. There is an absolute standard by which the world will be judged. There is an absolute standard by which you will be judged. There isn't a subjective, a subjective standard. There isn't a, your truth. This isn't about your beliefs. This isn't about your feelings, not your deeds, not your church attendance, not your giving to charity. Nothing based on what you can do. You don't get to choose a standard by which you are judged. That would always allow for judgment to be based on human standards. Except all standards that don't align with God's standards are the wrong standards. Judging by human standards is like judging a beauty pageant in the dark. There's no way that it could work. There's something lacking in the judgment. That's why Jesus says that he judges with a heavenly perspective. He judges with light. He sees and he knows all that is happening. He doesn't lack any judgment. So you, each one of you, will be judged by God's standards. Do you know what God's standard is? Perfection. God's holy and set-apart perfection. And I'll tell you right now that you will indeed, if you haven't already, but I'm sure you have, fall short of his perfection. One little slip-up, one little lie, one little lustful thought, they're all in opposition to God. They're all in opposition to God's holiness. And he will judge you based on your ability to keep his perfection. And if you have failed once, you're not perfect. Remember, by default, we walk in darkness. But God is light, and that light will cast out the darkness. And if that was the end of the story, that would be horrifying. That you would be judged by perfection and you're, none of you are perfect. But it's not the end of the story. There's a way that you can be judged and found right with God. That is to, through trust in Jesus, belief in Jesus, walking in his light. Jesus, when he died, took on your darkness. He took on your shame. He took on your sin, and he died so that you could have freedom, so that you could walk in his light. And if you walk 
in that truth, you believe and you follow Jesus, you walk in his light, you will be judged not based on what you earned, death, but on his righteousness, what he's given you. You will meet the standard of perfection, not because of what you did, but because of what Jesus did, who Jesus is. That's the good news of the gospel. That God would look at you and not see your sin, but rather see Jesus' goodness, Jesus' righteousness. Jesus again appeals to the authority that he is sent by, that the Father testifies to him. So Jesus presents the two greatest forms of testimony, the testimony from him and the testimony from the Father. But the religious leaders continue to be confused. They want to know who Jesus' father is. And how does Jesus respond? You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father. Try as they might, they don't know God. They search for him in their rules. They try to appease him with their works. But they're chasing after a fever dream. They're chasing after a mirage. And if they were honest with themselves, they are chasing after self Righteousness, judgment by human standards. But Jesus sees through their charades. He sees through their mess. He sees through their self-righteousness. He sees through them. And he sees that they don't know God. They don't know the Father. They don't understand true judgment. They are walking in darkness. They don't have the light. And therefore, they can't see that they are failing. The only way that they can know the Father is if they knew Jesus but they don't know Jesus, so they can't know the Father. The only way to get to God is through Jesus. The only way to be brought into the light is through Jesus. Why? Because only Jesus is the light. Only Jesus has divine authority. Jesus is, by his teachings, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, exclusive. There is no other way by which anyone is saved. To think there is, is to make a judgment based on human standards and not God's standards. And we need to align with God's standards. Verse 21. Then he said to them again, I am going away. You will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said again, he won't kill himself, will he? Since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. You are from below, he said to them. I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Therefore I told you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Who are you? They questioned. Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning, Jesus told them. I have many things to say and to judge about you. But the one who sent me is true. And what I have heard from him, these things I cannot, these things I tell the world. They do not know He was speaking to them about the Father. Verse 28, So Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own. But but just as the Father taught me, I say these things. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, because I always do what pleases Him. As He was saying these things, many believed. So what do we see here? That we're all sinful and we need salvation from sin. Jesus leads this conversation another way by telling them that he is going to leave soon and they can't come with him. And they miss a point. They miss the point. They think he's talking about suicide. But what's Jesus saying? That's not what he's saying, right? He's not saying he's going to commit suicide. He is going back to be with the Father. 
And unfortunately, because of their unbelief, they aren't going to be able to be with the Father with them. They're not going to be able to go to the Father with him. They won't be able to be in heaven because of their sin. All of their good intentions, all of their celebrations, all of their work is in vain because they don't believe. But not only that, the fact that Jesus said that they are going to continue looking for him means that they are going to continue looking for their Messiah, for their Savior. Even to this day, Jewish people are waiting. They're still waiting because they missed him. They are looking for a Savior. And they missed Jesus. He has already completed the work that the Father sent him. He has already provided redemption. Yet they are still standing there, oblivious to this truth. They are still standing at the wailing wall in Jerusalem, longing for God's provision, all the while missing that he has already provided. So Jesus corrects them once again. Jesus does a lot of correcting in his ministry with these guys. He presents them with a truth that, again, they are looking from an earthly perspective, a human perspective. They can't think about the things above because they are of this world. But Jesus is from the heavenly perspective. And listen, the earthly perspective and the heavenly perspective are mutually exclusive. Think about this. The human and earthly perspective is always a perspective in darkness. It cannot see the light. This means that outside of God's grace, providence, and mercy, all things that we encounter in are darkness in this world. They can all lead us astray. They can all cause us to stumble. That's why we need the light of Jesus so that we can see him light our way. That he is the lamp that leads us into all truth. We can't have a worldly view and a heavenly view. This is the primary di- difference between these religious leaders and Jesus. This is the primary difference between those outside of Jesus and those within Jesus, that we have a different perspective. They are from this world, and Jesus is from above. We are from this world, and Jesus is from above. And if we want to see through heavenly eyes, we have to have the light of life. Because we are all subject to sin and to death. We are walking in death. We are walking in our sins and in our trespasses, so we need something to change. Being from below means a couple of things. It means that until something changes, we can't have a heavenly perspective. That until, as Jesus says, we are born again, we are doomed to die in our sin. How do we know that we are from the world and not from God? How do we know that they are? Well, because what we do is we we create a God in our own image, right? We trade God's holiness for a false or outward holiness. We've traded God's righteousness for self-righteousness. We've traded God's, a God-centered perspective for a good works perspective, a, persec- a perspective centered around me. And we know, we need to know that we cannot elevate ourselves to the status of God. We have to see past our own religious activities, and see the holiness of God. Just an extreme example that I saw this week on social media. This man who calls himself a pastor, calls himself a preacher, was preaching from the pulpit pulpit, that all homosexuals need to be put to death. They, they should be executed right here and right now. And it came with cheers from the crowd. Everybody was excited that he was saying this. This is an extreme instance where religion gets in the way of holiness. Religion gets in the way of grace. 
where we can miss the point entirely, where we can make ourselves feel morally superior because we are unlike those sinners. And I want to be very clear, so listen to me really carefully. He's not completely wrong, but he's not even close to right. All sin comes with a price tag. All disobedience and rebellion deserves death. Romans 3.23 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. And this type of thinking in certain circles teaches that the homosexual is irredeemable, that they are unable to be saved, that they are reprobates forever, that their sin is too grievous to be forgiven. And here's the problem with that. That's arrogant. That's sinful. That kind of thinking is ungodly. That thinking is from an earthly perspective, not from a heavenly one. He's doing the same thing that the Pharisees were doing. He's judging by human standards. If that sin, if any sin is too great for God to forgive, then Jesus died in vain. Now hear me out. They still have to repent from their sin. Just like we have to repent from our sin, we have to turn away from it and follow after God. Right? But there, there's only one unforgivable sin. And Jesus tells us that it's the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. Right? And, and basically that is to remain in unbelief. All sin is forgivable. However, your unbelief, your lack of trust, and your denial of the gospel isn't. God won't forgive you if you don't ask for forgiveness. If these people actually knew God, if they actually knew grace, if they actually knew the beauty of the gospel, they could never spew such hateful rhetoric. They would see the compassion, mercy, and love of Jesus, but their religion, their self-righteousness has blinded them to that truth. It seems as if the more things change, the more things stay the same. Well, the Pharisees go ahead and they ask Jesus, who he is. Once again, they go, who is? Who are you? And I can't help but think that Jesus is a little exasperated at this point. He's like, I've already answered this question hundreds of times. What does he say in, in verse 25? Exactly what I've been telling you from the very beginning. From the moment we've met, I've told you who I am. He hasn't changed. His mission hasn't changed. His message hasn't changed. They're just too blind and ignorant, too deaf to hear they don't care. And so in the irony of irony, Jesus tells them that when they kill him is when he's going to be most glorified. Right? In verse 28, so Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know I am he, and that I do nothing on my own. But just as the Father taught me these things, I say these things. The one who has sent me is with me. He has, left, he has not left me alone because I always do what pleases him. They may try to squash him out, to silence him, or to get rid of him. But his death is going to be the ringing gong that draws people to himself. His death is going to provide salvation to those who believe. And then in verse 30, what do we see? We see this beautiful phrase, And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Many did come to believe. The question is, do you believe? Do you trust Jesus? Do you recognize that you have offended a holy God and that you deserve death because of your sin? But God made a way for you to be restored. He made a way for you to be forgiven. 
I read part of Romans 6.23 earlier, for the wages of sin is death. But to complete that verse, Paul writes, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the question is, have you accepted this gift? If you haven't, Jesus wants to know you. He wants you to love him. He wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want your best efforts. Your good enough will never be good enough. And thank God it doesn't have to be. Because Jesus is more than enough. Rest in him. Trust in him. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have trusted in him, if you do believe in him, if you are following him, don't forget the grace that saved you. That you didn't deserve it, but he gave it to you anyway. That he didn't owe you salvation, but he graciously granted it to you. Know that there are people in this world that need to hear the good news of Jesus. They don't need your condemnation. They need his grace. Look at them with a heavenly and eternal perspective, not a human and judgmental one. Look at them with the light of love. Will they all respond positively to the message? Probably not. But you need to be faithful. Don't side-eye them and think that you're better than them. If it weren't for God's grace, you would still be living and walking in your sin. But you have received grace. Extend it to them. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the grace that you've given us. Thank you for the life that you've given us. Thank you for shining the light on us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room that hasn't given their life to you, Lord, that their eyes would be open, that the light would shine on them, and they would be, they would know the goodness and grace of Jesus. And for those of us who have trusted in you, help us to steer away from self-righteousness and rest in your righteousness, extending grace and love to those who sin differently than we do, preaching the gospel and hoping that they come to know and love you praying for them. Lord, as we sing these songs, let us have a time of reflection of the amazing grace that you've given us. That on that cross and in your resurrection, that death was arrested. And that's when our life began. We placed our trust and faith in you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for listening. To find out more information about our church and ministries, visit fbclouise.com.